Sebastian's the devil. Love him. Well, I know. It's like, oh my god, he's going through his terrible twos. God, he is. So, I don't know if y'all know this. When I first moved to Austin a few months ago, I got... I've always wanted a cat, and I've never lived in a place where either I had the room or it was just me. And now you do. Yeah. So, when I got here, I was like, I'm getting a cat. So, I went to the shelter and was looking at the cats and okay some of them are like freaking out some of them are assholes and then this one is just so playful like reaching out of the like bars in the cage to like tap us and i was like oh my god this is the one uh because like he's so friendly so open he's so sociable yeah yeah um Got him back. He hid for like two days, which is fair. Um, he did. Since then, he has come to realize or come to think he runs the house. It's he's a cat. It's three a.m. every night. He's just fucking with everything. I can't leave any. I can't leave pens on my desk <laughs> because he will hop on the desk, and knock them off, and then in the middle of the night on my wood floors, I'll hear and. It makes me want to die. Well, as someone who has been a cat owner for about 12 years at this point, actually, um, where I've had my own cat mm-hmm. with just a little window of New York when I didn't. Yeah. Um, yeah, you learn. You learn to not leave things out. You just... I'm going like, to learn, learn to smother him. And you learn your personality of your, of your cat. So, <laughs> but... Welcome to Blood and Wine. My name is Brittany. I'm Tyler, and this is episode 8. So, since uh, this is coming out July 3rd, just right before July 4th, we want to do something special. Make it a little different this time around. So, this is sort of a 4th of July themed episode. Um, You'll see in in our murder topics that we picked. We also decided this time it would be fun to... Try for the red, white, and blue wines. Um, minus the blue wine. Minus the blue because... And actually minus the red. Well, yeah, but we got... <laughs> we got rosé and white. A white. So. Yeah, so we'll be talking about two different wines this episode. Uh, since we normally drink two bottles in, per episode, we thought it'd be fun for the fourth to do two different ones. And like Tyler was saying, our topic is a little patriotic in nature sure i don't know if that's the right word but it's just you know something a little bit america for celebrating our independence it's been what 250 years almost almost i think god we're so young i know like this country it just you think about it america is so young Mm -hmm. there's like people alive now that, I don't know, remember when the country was like, or the, whose parents talked about, like, the first centennial. Really? There are people where you think their parents? Maybe not their grandparents or great-grandparents? Okay, so if the first centennial, 1876, there's people alive now that were born in, like, I don't know, the tens or the teens, twenties, whatever. More so twenties. I mean, yeah. maybe some for the tens. They're they're over a hundred at this point. Uh, I guess that's they're... true. I always think of it as like it's two thousand. So someone who's a hundred years old was born in nineteen ninety. 
No, they were born in 1918. They were definitely not born in 1990. I well, can tell you 1900. that. <laughs> I just, yeah, my head's just in the future. Your just, math is just a little off. Okay, and we haven't even had wine yet, so. Well, um, <sighs> on that note, do you want yes. me to please jump into my wine? Please tell me about so we it. Can... It looks good. Yes, so I picked another rosé because... I fucking can, and I love rosé. Also, again, the what goes most hand in hand with July 4th, in my mind, is that it's 3,000 billion degrees outside, and right. we're doing fireworks on the surface of the sun, so a nice, cool rosé sounds perfect. Yes, my thoughts exactly. So this one is Ami La Vie. It's a Syrah mm. Grenache rosé, so it's a little bit different than the one I did a couple of weeks ago. And, um, actually, I took a photo of the kind of the flavor notes. So, again, it has these two different great varietals. It's a bottle that I got, of course, but you can guess where. Trader Joe's. Trader Joe's. So, it was $7. This wine is dry, fruity, and refreshing. Mm. It's fresh and fruit forward with strawberry and Bing cherry notes. Well, two things I wanted to say. First off, dry, fruity, and refreshing. It needs to be my Tinder tagline. Oh Just my god, FYI. I love it. Two, I thought Syrah... Syrah's usually a red, right? Or am I thinking Shiraz? Um, I don't know. There's all, they're all... Yeah. Syrah grapes, yes, are also used in a, like, deep, medium, full-bodied... No, full-bodied, I'm pretty sure. Red. Okay. So, but again, remember we had talked about how it's not, like, white wine is not green grapes, and red wine is not... No, I know. I was just, I've, I don't think I've ever seen a Syrah in a white, or in a non-red wine. Yeah, it's true. And also, I should have looked up, because we talked about this last time, about, like, how a rosé gets its pink color. Oh. I guess I can look it up while you continue telling us about this one. Yeah, so it's from the languedoc Roussillon region, which wow. is in the south of France. I know. Um, I was trying to be French when I pronounced that, but, you know. <laughs> So it has mineral-rich clay limestone soil, which actually dates back to the Jurassic period. And that kind of soil is ideal deal for uh, Syrah and Grenache grapes. Mm. So that's why, you know, again, we talked about last time how rosé is prominent <laughs> in in that type of France, exactly. And then it's definitely a lighter wine that would be good to drink with, you know, on its own, which is what we're doing, or mm. maybe with some baguettes, soft cheeses. Oh, again, let's, be, <laughs> let's just be very French right now and talk about that because... Like, the flavor notes work wet, work best on, like, I don't know, a bistro chair with, like, a bunch of people smoking, like, near you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, it is a classic French rosé, but, like I said, the price is completely worth it. It is only six ninety nine. Oh, okay. So, I pulled it up um, and actually found out why their, why rosé is pink. Okay. Um, 
And you're right. It's when they leave the skins on for only a very short amount of time. Yes! I'm so glad um, I was right! But it's actually kind of crazy how short of a time. So red wines ferment for weeks with the skins on to become a red. Yeah. Rosé wines are stained red for just a few hours. Oh, and it's long enough to make it pink. Long enough to make it pink. That's crazy. I feel like it would be really easy to accidentally make a rosé when you're making a white. When do they take off the skin for white? I don't fucking know. I don't either. I've been on a couple wine tours and never thought to ask. Yeah. Neither have I. Okay. Well, so on... Sorry, Charlie. On that note. Yes. And it's a calf... My favorite way to open. God, it's such a beautiful pink. I'd forgotten how beautiful this one is. Because you've had it before? I have. This is the first time I've picked a wine that I've already had. But literally, this bottle is like my favorite. It's really pretty. It's just so cute. There's a photo of it um, that we'll post on Instagram tomorrow. Tomorrow, for those of you who are listening to this on release day. Yeah, we'll post it on the 4th. But it just, it's its just beautiful. Oh, my gosh. I don't, oh, I did say the name of it. Ame la vie. Yeah. Um, also, you picked a French wine. Neither of our wines we picked, um, country of origin, which is funny. have anything to do with the 4th. Considering how often we drink a California cab or yeah. something from the coast, and we didn't this time. <laughs> nope, because mine is also not from the U.S. But right. anyways, cheers. Cheers. Mm. I love it. We need, you know what we oh, need? Oh, that's very dry. Yeah. I think Good. this... I think the rosé that we did last time, or a couple episodes ago, is still my favorite that I've had not in France. That's in my Trader Joe's budget. But this one, you can taste more of that fruitiness, I think. Like, it is dry, but you taste the fruitiness and, like, the strawberry, like I was yeah, saying. Yeah, you really do. It's It's a perfect summer wine. Like, that's... God, I'm going to just, like, chug this, like, water. Please don't. Mm. I won't, because I need to be as clear-headed as possible for the case that I'm about to present. (laughs) Which is a good transition. Tell me about your case. So, I'm doing JFK. Mm. The assassination of JFK. Yep. Okay. Okay. So, this is something that I have always been so fascinated with. And I kind of wanted to give a little bit of background on that before I jump into it. And just, I'm going to be completely candid. There are going to be lots of things I don't go into. There's just not time unless you guys want a 10-hour episode. Which I... Do you not want to edit? I don't want to edit that. I don't want to know how many bottles of wine we'd wind up drinking. By the end of that, we would be in the hospital. It's true. But yeah, no, this is a, you know two-hour episode or whatever, not a ten-part Netflix miniseries, so... Yes, so just wanted to, like, say that up front. Um, But a couple of things about, like I said, I've had this, like, lifelong obsession with this case, Mm -hmm. and I've watched so many documentaries and so many articles and just 
always. I remember yeah. being a kid and watching things about like the Zapruder film and everything like that, which I'll go into those details. But one that, gosh, I should, I should investigate because I wish I knew which documentary this was, but it was where they were taking all of the photographs and the recordings, like the, the, the Zapruder film, that was the only recording of the assassination, but they were lining everything together in like this, you know, time series of when the car went down the street. And so when they... Was it a National Geographic one? It very well could have been. I think it might have been... I don't remember the name, but it's like Unlocking JFK or something like that, because I think I've seen this one too. Yeah, where it's literally (laughs) like when they, at the end, they quote-unquote hit play, it's like image, image, parts of the video, image, image, parts of the video, image. They just compile it all together and Mm -hmm. you see like everything happen. So... On another note, um, one of my, and I'm totally name-dropping Stephen King again, because one of my favorite (laughs) books in the entire world is 112263 by Stephen King, and it is so, so different than any of his other novels um, that I've read, because it's, it's about this guy that goes back in time to try to prevent the assassination of JFK, and it's just all the historical detail that's woven in there as someone that's like such a huge nerd with the whole assassination it's really cool yeah that's one i've not read yet and oh, i really so, want to so good i'm telling you that should go up to the top of your stephen king reading list okay i know you've got your show list your reading list your movie list you uh-huh. just just you know You're just behind yeah, it's true. It's okay, though, because right now we're watching Staircase, which I definitely got ahead of you because you I did. couldn't stop watching it. But it's okay. It's okay. Another thing that I wanted to say is actually last year, uh, November 2017, was the first time I actually went to the site of the assassination there in Dallas. I was on a trip with one of our cousins, and we were actually there to see uh, a live showing of My Favorite Murder. Okay. This totally ties in. (laughs) Um, We went to the Texas School Book Depository and, you know, went through the museum, which (laughs) we didn't stop to think about the fact that it was November when we went. It was so crowded. But walking through, like, the museum is laid out in a really interesting way and it goes into so much detail. We didn't have enough time there because I could have spent hours in that museum. But you can't go up to the sixth floor you can go up to the fifth floor and look out the window, so it's very similar to see. And I am taking a pause. I'm assuming a lot of people know these details. If you don't, just wait. I'll go into them more. But there are also... um, So we got to kind of see the view of where the shots came out of the window, supposedly. And also... I just rolled my eyes. If y'all didn't didn't see it. Y'all didn't see it, but I just rolled my eyes. And then also, when you go to the road by like Dealey Plaza and your um, kind of over by the grassy knoll, like kind of that area. We walked to that area and there are X's on the street painted Oh, at the points of like where the impact happened. Like when the shots hit, there are X's. Oh. And it's just really crazy to go and see it just in modern day because it looks the same. The trees are bigger because time has passed, but like all the buildings around there, just it felt so eerie being in a place 
that I have seen images of and seen like those images and those videos over and over and then to actually be standing there yeah. it kind of helped with an understanding of some of the conspiracy theories and thoughts on a second shooter and where they might be and it, it helped to actually see the area mm-hmm. so on that long intro I know I am now going to jump into a long story <laughs> about the assassination of JFK alright so this happened on November 22nd 1963 in Dallas, Texas mm-hmm. JFK was the 35th president of the United States and on this Friday, he was riding in a presidential motorcade through Dealey Plaza. He was riding in the limousine, like presidential convertible limousine. So many descriptive words. Yeah. Which it doesn't look like a limo. Supposedly it was, but I'm like, it just looks like a regular convertible. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Because everywhere in my research, it kept calling it a convertible limousine. And I was like, what? I guess for the 60s, sure. I guess it probably, it had to have three rows. Just of how many people were in it. Yeah, it's true. It's true. So, speaking of the people Convertible that were in minivan. <laughs> it was JFK, his wife Jacqueline, Texas Governor John Connolly, and Connolly's wife Nellie. Those are the people president. Present? Oh my god. Yeah. This wine hadn't even... I've taken three sips and I can't I even talk. Um, I, I think it's because I'm intimidated. This case intimidates me because there's so much. Yeah, no, I can tell. I know. That I'm intimidated? Yes. Yeah, I'm totally intimidated. So, um, he, President Kennedy was pronounced dead only 30 minutes after the shooting. You know, when he got to the hospital, you know, they saw his injuries. His injuries were ones that you could not survive. Yeah. Like, you just could not because of the injuries to his head. What time did it happen? 12.30. 12.30. So, like, lunchtime on a Friday. Lunchtime on a Friday. Hmm. So... As most people know, former U.S. Marine and Marxist Lee Harvey Oswald was arrested by the Dallas Police Department only about 70 minutes after the shooting. He was charged under Texas state law with the murder of Kennedy, as well as that of an officer, um, J.D. Tippett, who had been fatally shot like after the assassination and kind of around the time that they found Lee Harvey Oswald. I'll go into more details about that later. Um... And then just two days later, on Sunday, November 24th, there was a live television broadcast going on of Mm -hmm. um, Lee Harvey Oswald being taken to the county jail. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was shot and killed by a nightclub operator, Jack Ruby, taken to the same hospital that Kennedy was taken to, where he soon died from his injuries. Mm. Ruby was convicted of Oswald's murder, um but actually died in prison in 1967. So what, you know, it, it, I think one thing that makes it so difficult about this case is that it never went to trial. As yeah. far, or as far as, like, Lee Harvey Oswald never went to trial. Yeah. And he was killed only two days after it happened. So there's a lot of, it, a lot of this is shrouded in mystery. Because, yeah. And I, and I, I know... Because of this is what a lot of the conspiracy theories and how they kind of originate. Oh, absolutely. Because it's something that there's... That just because of how it went down, there are some things that aren't going to be known. Exactly. Exactly. So there ended up being a 10-month investigation called the Warren Commission, 
which concluded that Oswald assassinated Kennedy and that he acted entirely alone and that Ruby had acted entirely alone when he killed Oswald. Lincoln. Wrong president. (laughs) Kennedy was the eighth president to die in office and the fourth president to be assassinated following Lincoln, Garfield, and McKinney. Um, And then, as you know, VP Lyndon B. Johnson was automatically sworn in as the president when Kennedy died. There were... LBJ. LBJ. Good old LBJ. Mm. Texas native. Okay. Yeah. So, (laughs) he was. No, he was Texas native. I'm gonna... To good old LBJ. Oh, yeah. Well. (laughs) Yeah. Neither here nor there. So, the United States House Select Committee on Assassinations, which is HSCA, concluded in a follow-up investigation after the Warren Commission that Kennedy was probably assassinated as a result of a conspiracy. However, they did agree with the Warren Commission that the injuries that Kennedy and Connolly sustained were caused by Oswald's three rifle shots, but also determined the existence of an additional gunshot based on the analysis of um, one of the police recordings, that there was a high probability that two gunmen fired at the president. But the second gunman just like missed and only fired once yeah okay that like exactly exactly kind of useless then well they weren't (laughs) able to identify any individuals or groups involved with the possible conspiracy so basically they're saying like oh yeah totally could have been a part of a conspiracy and there totally could have been a second shooter but we have no further information. No oh, details. my God. Okay. So, well, well and the HSCA mm-hmm. also determined, and I read this somewhere. I don't have it in my notes, but they also believed that single bullet theory, which we'll yeah. go into more detail later. Yeah. Good. So, um, Kennedy's assassination is still a subject of widespread debate. Mm-hmm. Like I said, to this day. Um, that it has also spawned numerous conspiracy theories and alternate scenarios. Um, polls conducted from 1966 to 2004 have found that up to 80% of Americans have suspected that there was a plot or cover-up involved in this. I think Amelia Earhart did it. You think she did everything or was killed by everyone? Yeah. Well, you know what? It is as valid as a lot of conspiracy theories, so I will stick by it. That is actually true. Yep. yep. So that's kind of like the wide overview of the assassination mm-hmm. now i want to go into a little bit more detail all right let's dive deep so why was jfk in dallas because he really wanted to go to a uh, rangers game that is not true oh so <laughs> <laughs> he had three things in mind when he was taking the trip to dallas one he wanted to help raise more Democrat part, Democratic Party presidential campaign fund contributions, which is a really difficult sentence to say. So trying to keep Texas blue. Okay. Trying. Um, he was beginning his requ- his quest for re-election, which was going to happen in November of the next year, 1964. <laughs> and then he also wanted to help mend political fen- fences among several leading Texas Democrat Party members who... Um, had been fighting politically amongst themselves since the Kennedy-Johnson ticket barely won in 1960. Okay. So, and technically they lost in Dallas. Like, they didn't win, like, the the county, whatever, 
Dallas County. It's Dallas County, yeah. yeah. <laughs> As I said it, I was like, it's fucking Dallas County. Yeah. Um, this trip to Dallas was first announced to the public in September 1963, and then the exact motorcade route was finalized November 18th, and it was publicly announced in the paper just a few days before the 22nd, just oh, okay. as an opportunity to give people, you know, they can see where his route is, they can find out where they're going to stand. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, when... When I was in Seattle, I worked downtown, and we Obama came to Seattle at one time, and God. his motorcade went through downtown, and it was cool to see the president and see the motorcade. You saw him? I, I saw the car he was in. Oh, I mean, like I saw the motorcade, it wasn't but a convertible yeah, it because was, of exactly this. Yeah, but <laughs> uh, it was cool. We. I don't remember if they published the... Re- they did. They did. Because the news was talking about it. Because they were like, literally avoid downtown if you can. And I was like, I work there. Yeah. Um, because he just decided to drive through downtown. He joyriding. But well, it was... I mean, it shut down the city. Oh, For like an hour and a half. Um, it was cool, though. Was that really also cool. happened here in Austin. Obama's oh. been here a couple of times. And... I worked right outside of downtown, but just, like, they were literally telling people in the news, like, if you can work from home, work from home. Yeah. Like, if you don't have to be on the roads, don't be on the roads. Like, just, there's going to be so much traffic. And so, I worked from home that day, and so did most of my office, because... I didn't have the option to work from home, because we got, like, the news was saying the same thing, like, work from home, avoid downtown if possible. And I was like, I don't have that option. I have to be at my desk. But, I, I mean, it was really cool because the whole... I worked for an office that was about 18 people. Mm-hmm. And so we all, when it started, ran to the windows. We were up on, like, the 18th floor. Oh, and cool. got to see the whole thing. See, Because there's, like, multiple limos that he could be in one of them kind of thing. So that, like, you don't know. Yes. And yep. it was really cool, though. It was awesome. Oh, and I bet Biden was in one of the other ones. I think so. Yeah, probably. Maybe like three behind him, just like LBJ and Kennedy. Oh, is that? He was three cars behind him. Okay. So, the whole, like, this motorcade route was determined to give Kennedy this opportunity and, like, exposure to all the local crowds. And he was actually en route, en route to the trademark for lunch with some civic and business leaders. So it was just him going from um, love to the trademark. Oh, okay. And they created this route so he could just be in the public eye. And it passed through a suburban section of Dallas, went through downtown along Main Street, and finally to the trademark via this short segment of the Steemans Freeway, which is where this happened, where it occurred. The Texas School Book Depository was... I don't know why depository is such a hard word for me to say, but I've slurred through it every single time I've said it in this episode. The Texas School Book Depository was situated on the northwest corner of Houston and Elm Street, and it was right before Dealey Plaza. Mm -hmm. So there were cars surrounding JFK filled with Secret Service, policemen. I'm sure you've seen, like, the motorcycles that were Mm -hmm. around the car. And, you know, kind of a fun fact... JFK was actually planning after this luncheon to hop on a plane at Love and come down to Austin for a fundraising dinner that night. Oh. So he was kind of just making his way through Texas, and I believe 
right before he went to Dallas, he had been in Houston or San Antonio or something like that. Like, he'd been in Texas for a few days okay. when this happened. The motorcade ended up running a little bit behind schedule because over 200,000 people came out Shit. to see him. And again, this is 200,000 people in a city that he didn't even win. You know, and so that just shows, like, how much support JFK really did have and how, much, how many people just loved this man. Yeah. So, when they reached Dealey Plaza, they were only five minutes away from the trademark. Five oh, minutes wow. away from their destination. So, the assassination. All the details. Yeah. This is going to be interesting. So, this is where I'm going to spend the majority of time focusing on this case because there are some of these details that... It's, there's just details of the ass on this case. Yeah. And this is where I decided to focus. So we'll just leave it Absolutely. at that. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. So Kennedy's convertible entered the Dealey Plaza at 12.30. Nellie Connolly, who is the First Lady of Texas, mm-hmm. turned to the president who was sitting right behind her and said, Mr. President, you can't say Dallas doesn't love you. Kennedy acknowledged what she said and replied, no, you certainly can't. Those were the last words that he ever said. Oh. The vehicle turned onto That's Elm. That's ironic. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> it's things like that when it's like people's last words are like fucking so much irony. Mm-hmm. It's mm, crazy. Yeah. So his vehicle turned onto Elm, passed the Texas School Book Depository, and then suddenly shots were fired. And the motorcade continued down Elm Street. About 80% of the witnesses recalled hearing three shots. Okay. His last seconds of traveling through Dealey Plaza were actually captured on an 8mm film, 26.6 seconds, which is now known as the Zapruder film. Mm-hmm. Abraham Zapruder, who was a garment manufacturer, was the cameraman behind this, and it is the only video that captures before, during, and immediately following the assassination. Again, just 26 seconds. Mm-hmm. Like, everything happened very quickly. Were, like, home video cameras not common in the 60s, I guess? No, I think more people just had actual cameras like, taking photos. Yeah. Or, like I said, this is the only footage that shows before, after, and during. Possibly someone else in the crowd had a, a camera, but yeah, their what they captured didn't have as much detail because okay. and again, I'll go into a little bit more detail, but there's a certain frame, I believe it's frame 313 in the Zapruder film where you see the fatal shot and you see Kennedy, the top of his head comes yeah. off and it's, it's on film. Um, I know there's a lot of people that have seen it. It's easy to find. Just go on YouTube and you can find the Zapruder film. The complete film is valued at $16 million. Wow. Um, and like I said, Zapruder was not the only person that photographed at least part of the assassination. There was a total of 32 photographers that were in Dealey Plaza that day. So, and I listened to a YouTube video earlier this morning how Zapruder was actually kind of embarrassed that he was the one that captured this on film only in the sense that you know he wasn't a he wasn't one of the um journalists he was just this this guy that went out there and happened to be recording it he kind of wishes that maybe this would have been captured by professional and it could have been done better and because you see the video it's definitely very shaky and um yeah 
first shot goes out and about you know within just a second of each other president kenny governor Connolly, and ms kennedy jackie kenny all turned abruptly from looking to their left to their right so you can tell like that's when they heard they heard the shot it's between frames 155 and 169 at the um when speaking of this moment, Connolly testified that he immediately recognized the sounds of the high-powered rifle. Mm-hmm. He had been a hunter, and so like he was familiar with oh. that. So he turned his head and his torso right, attempting to look at the president behind him. He also testified that he couldn't see the president, and then he started to turn forward again. And when his head was at about 20 degrees left of center... That's when he was hit in the right upper back with a bullet that he did not hear. And, um, you know, his his guess was correct when they went and measured, like, how much he had started turning forward. It was mm-hmm. correct. Um, at that moment when Conley was shot, he shouted, oh, no, 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 my God, they're going to kill us all. Because that, again, was the second bullet. He had heard the first one. Yeah. He heard the second one. It hit him. Miss Connolly testified that just after hearing a loud noise that came from somewhere behind her and to her right, she turned toward the president and saw him raise his arms and elbows, and this is after the first shot, so he's protecting his face and throat. She then heard another gunshot, and her husband yelling, Governor Connolly. She turned away from the president towards her husband, then she hears another gunshot, and the limousine's rear interior were covered with fragments of skull, blood, and brain. Jesus. So that's her moments of like, just this few seconds of like the turns, like looking at the president, looking back at her husband, the next thing she knows there's brains everywhere. Jesus. And according to both the Warren Commission and the House Select Committee on Assassinations, Kennedy was waving to the crowds on his right with his right arm raised on the side of the limo and this is when the first shot entered his upper back, penetrated his neck, and slightly damaged his spinal vertebra at the top of his and the top of his right lung. The bullet exited his throat, nearly center line, and nicked the left side of his suit tie knot. Um, mm-hmm. He again he raises his elbows, clenches his fists in front of his face and neck, and he leans forward. Miss Kennedy is facing him. She puts her arms around him in concern. This is supposedly the same bullet that hit Governor Conley. It penetrated his back just below his right armpit and then exited his chest just below his right nipple. And this kind of created um, an air-sucking chest wound. Mm-hmm. And it also ended up entering his arm just above his right wrist and shattering his right radius bone mm. in eight pieces. So, like, this bullet supposedly is going all over the fucking place. Yeah. It ended up exiting just below the wrist at the inner side of his right palm and lodged into his left thigh. So, yeah. <laughs> this makes sense to you. You've seen, like, all the lines. Yeah. The weird. Yes, I've seen the lines. I have opinions on it, though. I think we're definitely going to get to that, and yeah. I want to. I want to hear your thoughts. According to the Warren Commission, a second shot that struck the president... It was recorded, like I said earlier, at the Zapruder film frame 313. Um, the commission did not conclude whether that was the second or third bullet fired, the fatal one. 
Then the, after that third fatal shot, the limo continues going down Elm Street, passes the front of the John Neely Bryan North pergola, this concrete structure. And again, this is where the two investigative committees concluded that the second shot hit the president at that time, entered the rear of his head and um, passed in fragments through his skull, created a large ovular hole on the rear right side of his head. Um, his blood and fragments of scalp, brain, and skull landed in the interior of the car, like I said, and all over the windshield, <laughs> the raised sun, sun visors, the front engine hood, and the rear trunk lid. Um, Jesus. His blood and fragments also landed on the Secret Service follow-up car behind them and on the driver's left arm and on the motorcycle officers. So literally... Everyone is covered him. in blood. Everyone is covered in uh, pieces of JFK's head and skull. And, yeah, so it just... I don't know. Which, when you see, like, photos of, like, LBJ being sworn in... And Jackie's next to him, and she's still on in her bloody jacket. Mm-hmm. That's the image I've seen of like the debris. Uh, yeah. Um, but I haven't ever seen images of it on everyone else or in the car. But obviously, you know, mm-hmm. it it's there. Um, Secret Service Special Agent Clint Hill was riding in the left front running board of the follow up car, and you see him immediately after the first gunshot, run towards the president's car and jump on the back. And at the same time, kind of when you see the Secret Serviceman jumping on the car, you see Jackie Kennedy being again climbing out of the back of the limousine, kind of like onto the trunk. Uh, She later said she had no recollection of doing so, and Hill believed that she was reaching for something, potentially um, a piece of the president's skull. Yeah. And that is when... He clung, He jumps on the car just in time, clung to it as the car speeds up and exits Dealey Plaza towards Parkland Memorial Hospital. See, that to me is like the iconic image of JFK's assassination is Jackie Kennedy on the back of the car, like covered in blood in the secret service. And that's like, that's the image I always think of. It's the one I think of too. And when she ended up crawling back into the limo seat and she just kept, kept saying they, they killed my hus- husband. I have his brains in my hand. Like she's just, God. I, this is one of those things that I can't even begin for a millisecond to imagine what that would be like. No. As seeing your husband who, regardless of if he's the president or not, just be shot and you're right next to him. So all the ride to the hospital, Jackie kept saying, she's bending over him and she's saying, Jack, Jack, can you hear me? I love you, Jack. And just kept holding the top of his head and she could never finish her sentence for, you know, what she was doing. Yeah. So like I said, he was shot at 1230 and pronounced dead in the emergency room at 1 p.m., And then at 2.38 aboard Air Force One is when Lyndon B. Johnson was sworn in as president as the plane was about to depart Love Field with the remains of Kennedy on board. Damn. So that was the assassination. It was brutal. Yeah. And 
again, mm. I know I, I feel like I stumbled through a lot of that, but the details are just astronomical. Yeah. There's, it's, what, 20, well, the film is 26 seconds, but it's, you know, 20 seconds of things going on, but so much is going on. Well, There's so much background, so much. So much the, everything. Yeah. And, you know, they studied the Zapruder film frame by frame by frame over and over and over and over. And it's just, it's these milliseconds. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know the correlation of time There's to usually, I believe, standard film is 24 frames per second. That would make sense. Because there are, like, over 300 frames Yeah. in this 26 second. Yeah. So, listeners, do the math. And then they'll determine, you know, whatever. 400-something. So, now let's talk a little bit about Lee Harvey Oswald. And I'm not going to go into too much detail about him because, you know, what I'm focusing on in this segment is really just all the mystery around JFK. We know Oswald was involved. We know he pulled the trigger. And that's what we know. But like I mentioned earlier, never getting the opportunity to actually put him on trial and talk to him about this that yeah there's a lot that yeah. we don't know which is why i'm just not going to spend a ton of time focusing on him so roy truly who was oswald's supervisor at the texas school book depository where he worked mm -hmm. so oswald worked there reported him missing to the dallas police they couldn't find him he was supposed to be at work he was gone right after the shooting mm-hmm about 70 minutes oh. after the assassination, he was arrested for the murder of a police officer, J.D. Tippett, which I mentioned earlier. And I've got mm -hmm. some details on kind of how that came about. Um, according to witness Helen Markham, Tippett spotted Oswald walking along the sidewalk in a residential area of Oak Cliff there in Dallas, which was three miles from the Dealey Plaza. Officer Tippett had earlier received a radio message that kind of gave his description of a suspect for the assassination. And he sees Oswald and he's like, I think that's, I think that's who I'm looking for. So he calls Oswald over to his car, over to his patrol car. Markham, who was the witness, testified that after she saw an exchange of words, Tippett got out of his car and Oswald shot him four times. Jesus. Multiple witnesses say... Uh, they saw a man they identified as Oswald shoot Tippett, flee the scene after emptying the bullet casings from his gun. Oswald was next seen by a shoe store manager, Johnny Brewer, ducking into the entrance alcove of his store. So Brewer sees this guy being kind of suspicious, looking like he's hiding. He keeps watching Oswald as he walks up the street and slips into the Texas theater without paying. He slips on in. Come. Brewer alerted the theater ticket clerk, who then called the police at about 1.40. One of the arresting officers, M.N. McDonald, um, stated that Oswald resisted arrest and was attempting to draw his pistol when he was struck and forcefully restrained by the police. Um, he was then charged with the murders of President Kennedy and Officer Tippett later that night. And Oswald apparently denied shooting anyone. Okay. So, his case, like I said, never came to trial. Two days after the assassination, he was being escorted to a car in the basement of the Dallas Police Headquarters to transfer him from the city jail to the county jail. Mm -hmm. And this was when he was fatally shot by nightclub owner Jack Ruby. 
which actually was broadcast on live TV. Jesus. So, I don't know. Have you seen that video? No. I've seen pictures or frames of it. Yeah, you can actually see the live broadcast. It was about 1121 Central on Sunday, November 24th. They are taking him, you know, to put him in the car. And Jack Ruby pulls the gun and shoots him. And it's just like lots of chaos. And it was live on TV. So, everyone saw it. Yeah. Uh, they rushed him to the hospital where he died at 1.07 p.m. So he lived a couple hours. Then he died. Ruby later said that he had been very distraught over the Kennedy assassination and that killing Oswald would spare Miss Kennedy the discomfort of coming back to trial. So he did it for her. See, I know there are so many people that agree with Ruby. And I just cannot get what? behind it. Really? They're like, you know what? He shot the president. He deserved to be killed. And I'm like, what ever? Because, I don't know. To ever? Me, <laughs> like, uh, no, whatever happened to the innocent until proven guilty? I mean, later, yes, we have done the investigation. The commission has come out and stuff. And yes, okay, he is guilty. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, how... Like, I, I don't know. I just don't think that that kind of, like, swift vigilante justice is ever, ever okay. No, I also don't think it's ever okay. And I feel like there would be so many things answered. Or maybe not. I mean, maybe yeah. Oswald would never speak up and we wouldn't find out more. But I feel like chances are we would have a little bit more information for some of the things that we feel as if we'll never have the answer to. Yeah. And you know how the all the reports were released just October of last year? Like... Really? Yes. Um, this... I is, didn't know it was that recent. This is something Trump actually did. So there's a lot more information that's come out. However, I mean, I scoured the internet to see if I could find anything that was, like, huge in, in what was released and... Not really. It's more of the same. Oh. Um, there is a portion of Oswald's time in Mexico that's still redacted, which I feel like you're supposed to release everything, but it, there's still things redacted. Okay. Um, and also, Kennedy's autopsy report has never been released to the public. Like, it is top secret. Why? I don't know. But okay. it is. It always has been. So, it, it might be one of those things that, like... I mean, maybe because he was the president. Like, maybe that's all the reason yeah, they need. Yeah, that, like, the president's autopsy report or... Maybe it's not, like, that there's a law or a rule, like, the president's medical records can only be released by that president and that falls under it or something like that. Maybe. I mean... Maybe. That, I mean, that... I was just thinking, like, HIPAA kind of type things. yeah. Who knows, though? And like, I mean, honestly, I, I don't think it will ever be released. I feel like that will always be top secret. And I don't necessarily know if his autopsy holds the key to some secrets, but maybe it does. Maybe. Um, I want to just go a little bit into the investigations. The ones I mentioned earlier, the Warren Commission and the House Select Committee on Assassinations. Mm -hmm. Those are the two that I focused on, but there were also... Investigations done by the Dallas Police Department, the FBI, like 
There was a lot. Yeah. Um, so a few days after the assassination on November 29th, 1963, Lyndon B. Johnson established the President's Commission on the Assassination of President Kennedy, which was unformally known as the Warren Commission, and okay. um, to investigate his death. The commission was led by Chief Justice Warren, which is why it is called the Warren Commission. Okay. And it also included two U.S. senators, two U.S. representatives, a former CIA director, and a former World Bank president. So a lot of, like, okay, top dogs. Yeah. And Chief Justice, I'm assuming, of the Supreme Court at the time, Warren? Probably. Um, Yes. Okay. He was appointed to the Supreme Court in 1953. Okay, so, so he's he Chief had, Justice of the Supreme Court. Okay. Yeah, he had done that for like 10 years prior to this. During this almost year-long investigation, the Warren Commission reviewed reports by the FBI, the Secret Service, Department of State, um, and the Attorney General of Texas. Mm-hmm. They poured over Oswald's personal history, political affiliations, and military records. Yeah. They listened to the testimony of hundreds of witnesses, traveled to Dallas countless times to visit the site throughout this entire year. They ended up presenting an 888-page report to President Johnson. Also, President Johnson sounds kind of weird. It does. I feel like it's LBJ. Yeah, I feel like it's always (laughs) LBJ. Are there other presidents like that? Because even, like, JFK, but also President Kennedy, that both sound fine. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. It's interesting. I can't think of another one right now. Me neither. Um, also, 888 pages is long as fuck. It's so long, and I find it quite interesting that it's like 888. Yeah. So okay. many so many pages. So many prepped in. Anyway, so they uh, presented that to President Johnson on September 24th, 1964. So almost a year later. Mm-hmm. And then it was released to the public three days after that. The commission... The whole thing? The whole thing. Okay. Well... I say the whole thing. Their report, but all the documents, no. Because, like I just said. Yeah, like, but the 888-page yeah. report was. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So the commission concluded that the bullets that killed Kennedy and injured Connolly were fired by Oswald in three shots from a rifle pointed out of the sixth-floor window in the Texas School Book Depository. And the gun that they actually ended up finding, I was going to say this earlier and forgot, on the sixth floor was an Italian um, Carcano. It's an M91-38 bolt-action rifle, which is a lot of gun words that I don't know. Same. But rifle, bolt-action rifle. Yep. And... um, I mean, that is the... kind. That's what bolt-action means, I'm pretty sure. Yes, yes. Which, going back to, like, the witnesses saying two and three were heard really close together, I still have a hard time believing it was one shooter. Because if you had to, like, reload, pull that, shoot. But he was also a trained sharpshooter. And it can be done. Like, they've done tests and, like, yes, someone who is an expert in this can do it in that amount of time. Okay, and I guess he is military and, like you said, sharpshooter. Okay. Are you thinking there's one shot? We'll get into conspiracy yeah, in a moment. We'll get into it. Just a moment. Um, so, but anyway, they, they found this gun on the sixth floor. They compared it to photographs that they had taken of Oswald holding that same. It was in the match. Um, and not only was the gun a match, they did 
discover that a second hand um, Carcano, I'm probably not saying that right, but whatever. Maybe it's Carcano. Whatever. That Oswald had purchased this um, in March of that year under an alias, mm. A. Heidel, and delivered it to the post office in Dallas. Okay. Um, in this report, Oswald's life, including a visit he had previously made to the Soviet Union, was described in a lot of detail, but the report made no attempt to analyze his motives. And some of the information that was released recently was talking about how, like, Russia di didn't want him. They actually, like, told him to go back to the United States because um, I think he was trying to join stuff in Russia and they were like mm -hmm. no he actually tried to commit suicide in the airport or not the airport in his hotel room so he stayed in Russia for a few days longer and then I think this is the point when he goes to like Mexico and that's the part where we have no fucking clue what he did there and it's never been released okay um so additionally the commission found that the secret service had made poor preparations for Kennedy's visit to Dallas and had failed to f sufficiently protect him you know considering he died mm -hmm. um, and they concluded that Ruby had also acted alone when he killed Oswald so this kind of brings me to the single bullet theory which was a big part of the Warren Commission's uh, report and it's mm -hmm. known as like the single bullet theory or the magic bullet yeah. And um, the theory states that a single bullet caused all of the wounds to Governor Conley and the non-fatal wounds to President Kennedy, which totals up to seven injury exit wounds in both men. Yeah. So this theory says that the rifle bullet fired from the sixth floor of the Texas School Book Depository passed through President Kennedy's neck went into Connolly's chest, went through his wrist, and embedded itself in the thigh. So mm -hmm. we talked about this bullet earlier. If that is to be true, that means the bullet traversed 15 layers of clothing, seven layers of skin, and approximately 15 inches of muscle, struck a necktie, removed four inches of a rib, and shattered a radius bone. Okay. The bullet ended up being found on the gurney at the hospital um, that Conley had been on. Mm -hmm. So, I know you have a lot of thoughts on the single I bullet do. theory. I want, I would love for you to go into them. I just wanted to like detail just that paragraph of mm -hmm. supposedly everything this bullet did. Kind of is like mind shattering. See what. Which is maybe a totally inappropriate thing to say in this episode. Mind-shattering? Yeah. Oh, my God. Sorry. I'm going to let you talk about the single bullet. Go. Yeah. So, what gets me, because so many people say that, like, oh, the bullet had to occur. My, uh, this, all of multiple parts of this complaint. First complaint. People say that it's magic bullet because it curved through the air, did all this stuff, had to stop midair, do this shit. No, it didn't. It, because you you can pull it up online um, and see like, like this crazy jagged down. like swirly trajectory like this is what the bullet had to have done, but that is taking into account like oh they were sitting in like a sedan one right in front of the other same level normal sit it was the presidential limousine the back seat was higher wasn't the back it? seat's okay. higher yeah the front seat so Connolly's sitting lower yes. his seat is also more 
inwards. Um, it's like five inches closer to the center from the door. Okay. Um, and he's turned. Specifically, he mentions how he was turned. Right. And when you put all of that together, it lines up in a straight line. Also... Okay. I have seen the diagram with um, how the seat, the back seat was higher. I didn't mm-hmm. know Conley's seat was more towards the center, but mm-hmm. I'm like visualizing this now. We need to like find a photo and post it on Instagram of this map, actually. We should. I think that'd be a really good idea. We should. Um, um, go on. We'll post it um, when we post this episode. But also, it's a high-caliber, high-powered rifle. I think a lot of people, when they think bullet, they think something that is going to... You know, they think like a handgun bullet. Or they think of the kind of, you know, someone gets shot in the leg and the bullet's still there. That's not what this kind of gun was. Hmm. You have to think more of, and I don't, I don't know this rifle specifically. I know it was very high caliber, very high powered. But you have to think they make guns that are made to take down elephants. So the fact that it went through fifteen inches of muscle, like seven bones, and the clothing isn't that shocking. Like it's okay. a powerful gun. It's not a a handgun. So those are my two big things. Second off, we kind of mentioned this earlier, but people say like, oh, he couldn't have done three shots in that amount of time because, you know, it's a bolt action rifle. Again, people forget that Oswald was a military sharpshooter one, but also had planned this out. And knew that he had to get multiple shots in during this time period. And I'm sure he very much practiced and laid out, okay, I will have the bullets right here. I will have the gun right here. So the second I fire, I grab one, throw it in, reload, shoot. And so I I don't buy that either. I very much think uh, that there was one shooter. There was not a shooter on the grassy knoll. And that it was three shots with the second bullet doing this damage and the third hitting his head. So I'm kind of going to like go out of order a little bit because I do want to cover the House Select Committee on Assassinations report. But this is the perfect time for me to mention this. So when you watch the video, the fatal shot, the way Kennedy's, he goes to the back and to the left, it looks like he's being shot from... The front, which doesn't make sense because the Texas School Book Depository is behind him. Have you seen that? Yeah. But what the, are your thoughts on that? Because that that is one of the things that always, and, and for a lot of people who believe there was someone on the grassy knoll, I think that movement of his body is a lot of why they feel that way because it does mm-hmm. appear in the video as if the bullet was coming from in front. Another thing I think people have to remember about guns is you. While it does have a lot of force, it doesn't have enough to actually move your body at all. Like, if you were to get shot and for some reason didn't feel it, your body's not going to move at all. It's not going to be pushed back by the bullet at all. Okay. So, getting shot, the way your body moves has nothing to do with the direction the bullet's coming from. So it could just have been how he happened to have been moving in the moment, and it 
it appears to be force. Yeah. It could have been just his reaction to getting away from it. It could have been his body's reaction to, I mean, the pain from the front. So he moves back. Okay. You know, okay. I'm not sure. Um, yeah. But, again, the bullet doesn't have enough force to actually push anyone anywhere. Which is why it pisses me off whenever you watch a movie. And someone gets shot and they get, like, thrown. Because that's not... But also, you see a lot of clips in movies where someone gets shot and doesn't move. I'm thinking of, yeah. like, someone getting shot in the stomach, and they're like, oh, I'm bleeding. Okay. This is a great example. So, the whole... Get to Einstein's theory of relativity. Go for it. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So, for every amount of force that it's going to push Kennedy one way or another, it's going to push the shooter backwards that same amount. So, if mm. Kennedy gets thrown forward, Oswald's back there, you know, fell on his ass, <laughs> thrown back, and that's not how it works. I mean, to be fair, there is some kickback on some guns. But not enough to throw you backwards. Enough to like, ooh, my elbow or my shoulder hurts. Yeah, that's true. It's true. Well, and also, I like that you brought up that this is not a handgun. It is a high-powered rifle. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the kind of rifle it is again? High-powered. Uh, high-powered, high-caliber. Um, no, there was some type of bolt action. Bolt that, action. That okay. was the phrase I couldn't remember. So, it's just... Again, and obviously the people investigating this know a whole hell of a lot more about that is true. Um, guns and these types of things than I ever will, than I ever care to know. But, I okay. I appreciate you bringing, like, talking through that because, like, that's what makes this case so crazy is because everyone has an opinion on it. Mm-hmm. And everyone has an opinion on it, even those who are, are not as educated as, like myself, mm-hmm. in the actual weaponry and tactics and just all the shit. But we all have an opinion. Yeah, that is So, true. another group of people that had an opinion. <laughs> oh. That's a good transition. I like yeah. it. In the late 1970s, the U.S. House of Representatives Select Committee on Assassinations, again, HSCA, mm-hmm. launched a new investigation into Kennedy's death. So, in their final report that they ended up issuing in 1979, they agreed with the Warren Commission's finding that two bullets fired by Oswald are what killed Kennedy and wounded Connolly. However, they also concluded there was a high probability that a second gunman fired at Kennedy. So that that is the main difference. Mm-hmm. That and the whole, they believe there was some unspecified conspiracy. So I, I said this at the beginning, but I just want to say like, the main difference in the Warren Commission's results and the HSCA's results is that HSCA was like, second gunman, conspiracy. Warren Commission was like, one gunman, no conspiracy. My thing is, what, I guess, what's the definition of a conspiracy? Is it just more than one person getting together to devise a plan to do, you know, a thing? Because in that case... Did another person other than Oswald know? And if and if that makes it a conspiracy, I, I could know. totally see it. And I'm not saying there definitely wasn't a second shooter. I'm saying that the three bullets fired, or the 
the idea that there had to be a second shooter because Oswald couldn't have done this is wrong. Uh, okay, I see what you're saying. Um, I see what you're saying. But also, again, as we mentioned earlier, there was a second shooter. Bitch did nothing. Fired no. one shot that missed and then watched. Yeah, and and that Oswald is a possibility. It's you know a possibility what? that the independent. So it, you know, and this is exactly why both of these committees' findings, the Warren Commission and the HSCA, they they continue to be debated, and it's like one opinion against another opinion. Like that is why. Yeah. There are a ton of conspiracy theories. So oh, kind of absolutely. Moving into that, and I'm not going to go into the conspiracy theories because literally that could be three episodes on its own. Um, you know, things like the Umbrella Man and, of course, there's the the Cuban and Soviet government involvement, organized crime, which I, FBI, CIA, like, I do want to add things. one thing because the the conspiracy of the Russian government involvement is something I do hear a lot. Of course, it's always Russia. And it it blows my mind how little people think of other people in the way that why would Russia, at a time like this, when they do not want to go to war with the U.S.? Right. We literally know if war happens, because this is the height of the Cold War. Yeah. We are all aware, this is, what, a few months, a year after the Cuban Missile Crisis? Everyone is fully aware of Mm -hmm. if war between the U.S. and Soviet Russia happens, everyone will die. Russia does not want to go to war against the U.S. They don't want the U.S. to get the upper hand, but they do not want to go to war with us. Why the fuck would they pick someone who it is well known had pro-Russian sentiments, had been to Russia. It would be so easy to link that together if that was actually a thing. It would Why be. would Russia do that? They that is would. stupid. No, they wouldn't. And it's it's one of those, I think, conspiracies that seems obvious, and that's why people attach themselves to it. But mm-hmm. when you go in and think about it, you're right. Like, why would Russia pick the obvious unless they're just really fucking good they pick the obvious and get people to think oh it's not it because it's too obvious but it really was it no and again that's how conspiracies are made and that's how people think (sighs) with conspiracies i'm just saying there's some i don't believe that so i know i don't believe that i was just trying to make a point no i know conspiracy theories are there are and you you can't discount any or every conspiracy theory because every theory is a conspiracy theory until it's proven or disproven. Yeah. Like, it... But, God, so many of them, I... I hate. They're so dumb. Yeah. They're so dumb. Well, and so, I'm going to kind of close this out by going back to the beginning with my reference to 112263 by Stephen King. One of the things that I really, really loved about that book is that it gives you a picture of Oswald's life. Now, again, a lot of it's based on real information. A lot of it is fictionized. And I would need to literally sit down and go back and forth to see what is what. But I just love that aspect of the story. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I that's kind of how I'm going to... I'm going to end this case because literally, like I said, we could continue talking forever about it. And the assassination of JFK is something that still 
you know, impacts people in today's world and little things like the mm-hmm. fact that I was like, oh, you saw Obama. No, you didn't because he's in a close vehicle. Yeah. Like it is something that resonates in politics and just protection of of everything. And the the freaking poor Kennedy family always has some shit going down because there's also Robert Kennedy was assassinated. And just, yeah. you know, this affecting... The Kennedy curse. This affecting one person in a family is devastating. Affecting another... Or, like, another assassination occurring in the family is just unimaginable. But, yeah. yeah. So, all right. All right. Everyone, um, feel free to rip that apart. Tell us your opinions. Yes. I know how highly controversial this case is and how there is just so much fucking information that... You know... I didn't mention anywhere near a third of it. If there was ever... A case to do to possibly have a follow-up episode on it would be jfk yeah so just saying jfk though man yeah that um yeah <laughs> i we're done with my french rosé can we try your also non-american wine <laughs> yes tell us about it I, I side note i will say i love that we're doing two separate wines Oh, me too. I love this. This is kind of an interesting... Um, listeners, tell us what you think of that. Yeah. I mean, like, do we need to start doing this? Or actually, we have to be very careful with how we do it because purposely, we did not pick a red wine because we didn't want to be mixing. Yeah. And... So. Yeah. So if you're wondering why we tried for the red, white, and blue and went with rosé and white... That's why. It's because we didn't want to do a red and then switch to a white. But whatever. Uh, so, my wine is the Picton Bay Marlboro Sauvignon Blanc from 2017. Marlboro. Marlboro Blanc. Marlboro. Checking on our tongues. Marlboro. Yeah. So, it's another New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. And side note, Marlboro is just the absolute best region in the world for a Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah, because didn't you look at Sauvignon Blancs that were from... California? Yeah, I looked at some that were from California. And they just California. didn't look as good. They're not as good. New Zealand, for the past few years, New Zealand has made the best Sauvignon Blancs, and Marlboro makes the best in New Zealand. Like, it's best Sauvignon Blancs in the world come from this region of New yeah. Zealand. Well, if any of our listeners know some suggestions of some really good Sauvignon Blancs from, like, California or somewhere else, yeah. I'd be interested to, to know, because yeah. just... Again, as someone who doesn't really drink white wine, I'm very much trusting your taste buds mm-hmm. on this one. And so you're like, New Zealand's the best. I'm like, all right, New yep. Zealand. <laughs> so just curious. Yeah. So apparently, I looked at reviews. Unfortunately, again, this uh, vineyard doesn't have a website that I could find. Uh, but Vineyard Picton Bay. Um, so I looked at some reviews, and apparently this very much tastes like an 18 to $20 wine. Oh, shit. But it was definitely $7.99 at Trader Joe's, which is wonderful. Um, so looking at the reviews, its profile is it has the same green herb, grass, and gardenia that you would get from gardenia. like a much pricier wine. Ooh. Oh yeah. Um, and it has a very pronounced liminess, like almost like a limeade. Oh. With yeah, I know. With great acidity and a slight jalapeno burn, which is typical what? of the region. What? Uh, lime flavors and a streaminess. 
And it was like, you know, like a babbling brook. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know what that means. Minerally, maybe? I guess. I don't know. I'm super excited. So, again, I'm reading the back right now. Uh, It says, Picton at the northern tip of New Zealand's South Island is the gateway to Marlborough. This wine is produced from world-famous Marlborough Vineyards. Picton Bay Sauvignon Blanc is a classic Marlborough. God, is that word so much? It does. (laughs) In style, vibrant, fresh, and fruity. Um, So, I'm excited. And the bottle just looks so fun. It has palm trees on it. It's very much like a nice, I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping it feels like a nice vacation in my I, face. I am too. I hope it feels like a vacation in my mouth. And this one also has a screw cap, which is wonderful. Yeah, I used to be kind of a wine snob. And if it had a screw top, I was like, no, it's, you know, it's a cheap wine. It's not great. But then I learned about the shortage of cork in the world. Yes. And how that's why we have uh, plastic corks and more screw tops, that it has nothing to do with, oh, that's a cheap wine, you know? It's more an earth-friendly wine. Well, and it's also like a, uh, yes, it is. And also, it's a wine that if you buy a bottle and go somewhere, you're not like fucked if someone doesn't have a corkscrew. Oh, yeah. My favorite That's one great thing. It is. My favorite story of the, I brought a bottle of wine to a party and they didn't have a fucking corkscrew, which number one, I don't get that. No. Don't get it. Number two, we used a screw. We took a screw, screwed it into the cork, and then used pliers and pulled it out. That's smart. I have yeah. seen someone do it with a shoe. Have you actually seen it? Yes. I've been to a party when someone did it, and oh, I didn't never understand, but they put the bottle of wine like in the, I guess where your leg goes in the shoot. Well, here, pause so we can cheers, cheers. and taste it. Oh, that mm. smells nice. God. You're turning me on to Sauvignon Blanc. I don't know how to feel about this. Mm. Oh, oh wow. my God, that's good. I feel like I taste grassy. Mm-hmm. See, the grassy... And the lime. I get the lime at the finish for sure. Yeah, the grassy is like... That's my favorite thing. Just how fresh Sauvignon Blancs. I also get the like little... What they meant by the little jalapeno burn. I think I like this better than the prophecy. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, okay. I don't know if better is the right word. It's different. Mm Mm-hmm. Both were great, but this is different. And I think it's the lime. Yeah, it's less... Fruity. Like, really, the only fruit notes I get from this would be the lime. The rest are very grassy, very floral. Yeah, it is. I love this. Ooh, God. To me, this is, like, ideal. So, I get what they mean by it tastes like an $18 wine. Yes. Because this is fucking amazing. This is good. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't even know where we, what we were saying before. Shoe. Oh, the shoe. So, I don't remember exactly what they did before but they put the wine bottle in a shoe like standing you know 90 degree angle and they hit the shoe against a brick wall and it just slowly you know after a couple hits started popping the cork out it started just easing out from the force of being hit Uh uh-huh and then once it got like half out they grabbed it. it and pulled 
So it's not about the shoe. It's about the force of the hit from yeah, the bottom. Yeah, the shoe cushions it so you're not shattering wine. <laughs> I... I want to try this. ...have one time... The one time that I remember had a bottle of wine with a cork and not had a corkscrew and I had to push it in I had to push it in which was fine I don't know why that's not the go-to it's not the easiest way I mean it's not but if you to me if you don't have a corkscrew it's the easiest way Uh, there you go anyway so what is your uh now that we've talked about your wine and opened it What's your case? So, going into... I took the 4th of July instead of, like, just America, America. I took it as more of America v. the UK. So, while you had the assassination (laughs) of John F. Kennedy, I chose the attempted assassination of Margaret Thatcher, the Brighton bombing. Ooh, I don't know about this one. Also, I love how you took the angle of the people that we were being free from, from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Gotta... Fish, fish, um. Fish, um. You know, hey, we have our UK listeners. Also, I do want to say something just for our UK listeners. Um, I researched this. I've watched a couple documentaries on it. But uh, y'all have... Uh, this is your history, so I apologize if I fuck anything up. Let us know if yeah, I do. Yeah, just let us know. This is something we're... Although, I will say, if anyone is coming to us expecting expert advice... They are very much, you know. Yeah, apologies, wrong show. We're not a, we're not experts. No. We're not reporters. We are not journalists. We are drinking, and our information is what we find. So it is true. So my but source, if anything's wrong, let us know because yes, I like do. I like knowing. I know, and but love I'm just the, defending. Love us. the back and forth. I love the communication. Um, so sources that I use um, mainly were Wikipedia. British telecommunications and time. Side note, I didn't say my sources. Rude. Uh, it was Wikipedia and history.com because oh, there's okay, so no. many documentaries on history.com. It's the, I mean, the. Yeah. Know, t- history. Fair. So. Okay, so. Here we go. Continue. Again, my sources Wikipedia, British telecommunications, and time magazine. Mm hmm. Um, time UK, actually. But, so for mine, it's going to be a little different, because I want to explain the background and kind of get everyone into a space where they can understand what's going on, because it's a lot more than just a bombing. Okay, okay. So, first off, I'm going to intro the IRA, or the Irish Republic Army. Oh. um, Who, well, I'll just, I'll get into it and show. So, the IRA... um, has actually existed in a ton of different forms since the early 20th, early 20th century. But the one that I'm talking about today is the Provisional IRA, which was born about in, I believe, the 60s. Okay. So Irish Republicanism, which is the IRA's thing, um, is the idea that all of Ireland should be under one rule and be a united Ireland. Um, whereas that's right, Ireland is owned by two. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's Ireland and then there's Northern Ireland. That's like the s- central piece of this conflict. Oh, is there's Ireland and Northern Ireland, which is part of the UK that includes Belfast. Northern Ireland is part of the UK. Yep. Okay. So the UK is Northern Ireland, Scotland, Wales, and England. I always forget about the Northern Ireland part. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So it, the island. 
of Ireland is split between the two. Okay. Um, and the IRA sought to rid the British from Northern Ireland. So they just wanted Ireland to be one. Yes. Okay. So the IRA was actually designated. And, okay, again, side note, this is the provisional IRA I'm talking about, but it is the IRA. You know, remember it's this one that I'm talking about. So the IRA was designated as an unlawful terrorist organization in the UK and an unlawful organization in the Republic of Ireland. Okay. Oh. So both governments were like, dude, no. Um, The provisional IRA emerged in December of 1969 following a split from the Republican movement. Mm Mm-hmm. So this jumps into the Troubles, which I'll kind of expand on in a little bit. Okay. Um, The Troubles began the year before in 68 when a largely Catholic nonviolent civil rights campaign was met with violence from both Ulster loyalists, which were Protestant supporters of uh, Northern Ireland being part of the UK, and the Royal Ulster Constabulary, uh, which was the police force in Northern Ireland. Um, And this culminated in the August 1969 riots and the deployment of British troops on Ireland. Oh my gosh, and this was in the 60s. Yeah, 69. So that was... So that had happened. The Troubles began, and then the Provisional IRA started. Yeah. (laughs) Um, The IRA initially had focused on the defense of the Catholic areas, because Ireland, the country of Ireland is predominantly Catholic, and Northern Ireland is predominantly Protestant. But important to note that this wasn't a war of religion. It was a war of, like, patriotism. So what does the Catholic versus Protestant have to do with it, then? That goes back to historical times. Which, I mean, of, obviously... Of, like, Elizabethan. Yes. Like, Catholic v. Protestant. Well, which, yeah, which... Uh, I asked that, and then I'm like, well, yeah. obviously this has always been a thing, like mm-hmm. with um, Martin Luther and, like, yeah. all of that that goes way, way deep into European history. So yeah. I had a feeling that's what it was, but I, I just wanted to clarify. Yeah, because right now, and even today, um, but the Church of England is Protestant. Yes. And the country of Ireland is very Catholic. So that's where the initial split of the Protestants in Ireland moving to Northern Ireland to be a part of the UK and be under the Church of England. Okay, So that's yes. kind of where the dichotomy so that's, started. So that's why Ireland is separated into two parts. Yes. but Got it. But yeah, but I did want to like really push and make it note that this is more of a war of ideals and nationalism as Not opposed religion. to a war of religion. The religious split is just historically what made it that. why there's a split yeah no i'm glad you made that clarification um so again the ira focused on the defense of the catholic areas but it began an offensive campaign in 1971 their primary goal was to force the uk to negotiate a withdrawal from northern ireland and they actually used guerrilla tactics against the british army and the ruc the royal ulster Constabulary. I'm going to call it the RUC. That's a lot easier. It is. Constabulary um, is like a new word for me that I didn't know was a thing. Yep. There you go. But yeah, they used guerrilla warfare tactics on the army and the RUC, uh, both in rural and urban areas. 
Um, and they also carried out a bombing campaign in Northern Ireland and England. Bombing campaign? Mm-hmm. Like, we're going to bomb? Like, bomb, 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 gay bomb? Like... What's a bombing campaign? Like, multiple bombings every other month. Oh, shit. Kind of thing. Like, it was... It's interesting, before 9-11, yeah. the idea of a terrorist was different. Oh, totally. Because this was what terrorism was thought of in a lot of the Western world, was oh. these, like, national defenders. Like, it was like it was still awful, and it's something that was definitely seen as more small scale, I guess, kind of like this. Okay. Still having the bombings often, but one of the things the IRA would do often... Um, in their bombings that I found in my research was, you know, they would have a bomb and they would call the police and be like, hey, we have a bomb here. It's going to go off today sometime. Oh, so like giving them a heads up before it happens. Sometimes. Not always. Okay. But the IRA wanted to bomb what it saw as political and economic targets. Okay. Yeah. So kind of getting into the troubles... The are we still in the 60s, 70s? Where are we now in time? We're still 60s, 70s. All okay. of this more or less takes place from the 60s to 80s. Okay, okay. Thank you. I was yeah. just trying to put my head in the, where we were in time. <laughs> yeah. So getting into what the Troubles actually was, um, it was an ethno-national conflict in Northern Ireland that happened during the late 20th century. Um Internationally, it was also known as the Northern Ireland Conflict. Okay. Uh, and it's sometimes described as a guerrilla war or a low-level war. Mm-hmm. Drink your wine. This one's really good. I know. It's so good. But I'm sorry. I have to talk a lot. Isn't that your always your excuse? It is. But this is so good. And I can't believe it's $8. Mm-hmm. You're turning me on to Sauvignon Blanc, and I don't know how I feel about this. I'm telling you, I'm really not a white wine drinker either. Honestly, actually, the only white wine I really do like is Sauvignon Blanc. I will drink a Pinot Grigio occasionally. I don't like Pinot Grigio. I don't. It has to be like like I'm at a wedding and it's the white wine option and for some reason I don't want red. That's the only that I'd be like, okay, sure. But what is that reason? I don't understand. I don't know, actually. <laughs> if it was really hot outside. And it's an outdoor wedding. It's a very specific th- scene. But that is when I would want a Pinot Grigio. Or not want. That's when I would drink a Pinot Grigio. That's when I would hope they had a Prosecco. Or See, champagne. I can't drink... If I'm going to drink a lot, I can't drink a lot of bubbly. Oh. Like, if you'll notice, we've never done bubbly on this podcast. I almost bought a Prosecco for this one, but... Oh. I mean, we can. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if I can do two bottles of Prosecco, because it fills you. It's all the bubbles and all the gas. All the bubbles, yep. Um, Lots of burping would happen. it's true. Probably not the best for... Probably not. Yeah. Okay, sorry, continue. But also drink your wine. I want my second glass. So, this conflict actually began in the late 60s, and although the Troubles did primarily take place in Northern Ireland... Oh, um, we're in trouble. Like from the Power Rangers movie? Every time you see that's what I think of. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> I'm sorry. One, no, I don't know what you're talking about. 
Two, yeah, I don't know what Power Rangers movie you're talking about. Like, the first one. Like, you weren't like, old enough. I know, the one I that came it. out in, like, 1990, three years before I was born. Probably, but there's a song, and it's, like, it's when the kids, like, go crazy or bad, and it's, like, uh-oh, we're in trouble. And I don't know the rest of the words, and I never have, but, sorry, continue. <laughs> okay. Um, at times, the violence would actually spill out into other parts, including, like, the Republic of Ireland, England, and actually mainland Europe. Damn. So, yeah, it Damn. was pretty... So it's, like, going into, like, like France? France and, and shit, yeah. Oh, my God. So for for a fairly regional conflict, it really wasn't all that regional. Clearly. Um, the conflict was primarily political and nationalistic and was fueled by historical events so mm. that's the again the religion comes into play yeah yeah again that's why it's not a religious because it wasn't like oh you're protestant i'm against you right. it was oh you're a supporter of northern ireland being part of the united kingdom i'm against you but got it that got split it was Religious. majority along Catholic and Protestant lines because the Protestants were in Northern Ireland. Yeah. So the conflict actually began during a campaign to end the discrimination against the nationalist minority by the Unionist government and police force. Mm. The authorities had attempted to suppress the protest campaign and were accused of police brutality. Oh, shit. Yeah. And it was also met with violence from the loyalists. Of course. Yeah. they The lawyers had actually alleged that it was a Republican front. So everyone's fucking fighting. <laughs> everyone's fucking fighting. Everyone's fucking and fighting. Pretty much. So the increase in the inner community violence and conflict between the nationalist youths and the police mm-hmm. um, actually eventually led to riots. The riots in August of 1969 that I mentioned earlier yeah. with the deployment of British troops. Oh. So this is kind of the background there. Oh, oh, oh. So some of the Catholics um, who, again, are the nationalist minority here actually initially welcomed the army as more of a neutral force, but it soon became pretty obvious um, that they were seen as hostile and biased Mm -hmm. towards the Protestant and the UK supporters. Yeah. So the emergence of armed paramilitary organizations led to the subsequent warfare over the next three decades. Three decades? Mm Mm-hmm. Holy oh shit. yeah, the the bombings and fighting happened until the late nineties. Oh my god, you have so much background on this story. Mm-hmm. Jeez, this is why I was like, this is important to make it more or to have more background to really get a picture of. Again, the bombing of Brighton is not just a bombing. Right, right. There's so much backstory, and I'm really glad you're going into the detail. So, the IRA was bombing in many places over the years. Um, So, the largest bombing was the Dublin and Monaghan bombings of the 17th of May, 1974. Shit. Um, They were a series of coordinated bombings in Dublin and Monaghan, Ireland. Uh, three bombs exploded in Dublin during the evening rush hour, and a fourth exploded in Monaghan almost 90 minutes later. How far is Monaghan from Dublin? It's 
right on the border of Northern Ireland, north maybe, I don't know, hour, two hours. Okay. Um, so the bombings wound up killing 33 civilians and a full-term unborn child and oh. injured almost 300. Because um, they Damn happened it. on, like, the main street while people are, like, walking home, leaving from work. Jesus, no. Um, the bombings were the deadliest attack in the Troubles and the deadliest attack in Irish history. And overall during the Troubles, so from the 60s into the 90s, more than 3,500 people were killed, of whom 52% were civilians, 32% were members of British security forces, and 16% were members of paramilitary groups. So it was more than a conflict. Like, it was pretty much an all-out war. Yeah, no, that's what it sounds like. Okay, you're having a hizzy fit, so yes, we can have more wine. Thank you. I am empty, and I need more. It's so good. You're also, like, talking so much about history that I feel like I just need some. Okay, I'm sorry, I guess. Okay, continue. Fine. So that is the background on who the IRA was, what the Troubles were, this whole conflict. Yeah. Now I'm going to give a little Huge. bit... Huge! Yeah. It's... <laughs> yeah. It's insane. But now I want to go into who Margaret Thatcher was and kind of how she was involved in the lead up to this. Yes. So Margaret Thatcher was the Prime Minister of the UK from 1979 until 1990. Um, and she was a leader of the Conservative Party from 75 to 90. Because um, I believe the two main parties in the UK are the Conservative Party and the Labour Party. I think so. Again, let me know if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure those are the yeah, two main ones. I, mean, I know they have to be honest, much have more no than that. I know they're <laughs> not the a two-party system like some places are. Oh, yeah. But those are the two that are most like yeah. notable and... Yeah. Um, and Margaret Thatcher was actually the longest serving prime minister in the 20th century. And also the first uh, woman serve? from 79 to 90. So That's uh, awesome. 11 years. 11 years. Go, girl. Killing it. Um, well, <laughs> actually, though, she's a very polarizing person even today. There are I mean, a lot of people that love her and a lot of people that really hate her. She passed away... Uh, Five years ago? Maybe more than that. And there were people, like, openly mourning, crying in the streets. There were also people that were, like, the number one song in the UK the week after, it's number one or number two, was Ding Dong, The Witch is Dead. Oh, shit. Like, it's, again, very polar. It's interesting because I actually... She died in 2013. So, damn, five years ago. Yeah, you were right. You were really good. Um, Because I actually have two friends, one who was very against her and one who's very supportive. Um, The one who's really against her, he's Scottish, and a lot of her policies very, very negatively affected Scotland. And the Scottish kind of viewed um, how she treated Scotland as kind of like the practice board for England. Because England oh. was the one that mattered, and Scotland, she could like, oh, do these policies work? No? Okay, well, it didn't affect anyone important. 
is how a lot of the Scottish oh, view her. Oh, that's how they felt about her. Okay. Um, and my other friend, she's English, um, and she and her family is very supportive of her, um, and we're just very proud of her policies, very proud of her, like, nationalism and her... She, Margaret Thatcher was very proud to be English yes. and wanted all of those in the UK to be proud of their heritage. Like, that was a big part of her. Okay. Um, so kind of getting into where she, I guess, butts heads with the IRA. So in 1980 and 81, the mm -hmm. IRA and the Irish Nationalist Army prisoners that were in Northern Ireland... Okay. Um, they carried out a hunger strike um, in an effort to regain the status of political prisoners... That had been removed in 1976 by the prior Labour government. Mm, okay. Um, so Bobby Sands actually began the 1981 strike, saying that he would fast until death unless his prison inmates won concessions over their living conditions, because the conditions they were in were horrible. Oh. Like, it was not good, and they were wanting better, yeah, better, better conditions, yeah. better food... But like as prisoners, I get it. Yeah, um, Thatcher actually refused to support a return to political status for the prisoners, and declared that crime is crime is crime. It is not political. Oh, so basically, like the prisoners could never. Yeah, she was. They are doing a hunger strike to get better conditions, and she's saying, "Fuck off! You did crimes. Like you deserve what you got." Yeah. Um, so, nevertheless, the British government had privately contacted Republican leaders in a bid to bring the hunger strikes to an end. But after the death of the deaths of Sands and nine others, the strike ended. Oh, okay. Because wait, they died because they were hungry. They, yeah, they starved themselves out. And oh my god! How do you actually like, do that? That's impressive. Yeah, then the government was like, "Nope, we call your bluff." And then even after it wasn't a bluff, clearly, they were like, cool. Wow. So, again... They were basically like, oh, okay, less people to take care of. Yeah. They're... Jesus. Margaret Thatcher was very conservative. I can tell. Um, so, you know, very polarizing. Yeah. Very... Um, one thing I do want to mention here, because I hear a lot of people say things like, well... A conservative in the United Kingdom's basically a Democrat in the in the U.S. because they're so like progressive. No, like it's not. It, it's still very much a conservative to liberal divide. That I know. So let's say among it, the same issues, really. It sounds very similar and like very conservative. It's it's a lot of people. I see it from a lot of young people that are um, romanticizing Europe as just this, like, oh, it's everything about Europe's greater than America. It's this wonderful, magical utopia where everything... And I love Europe. I, li I lived in Norway for a year. I've traveled to... I spent a month in London. I've been to a lot of places in Northern Europe. I love it. Right. Well, but, as you know, like, I lived in London for a while, and... <laughs> Uh, but, I don't know. To me, the romanticizing and almost, like, fetishizing of European yeah. culture really bothers me. 
Because that really? was one thing I... I'm guilty of it because I fucking love it there. Well, it's it's one thing to love it, but recognize it as a thing. It's another to be like, oh, it's so European. And it's like, okay, but what does that mean? Yeah. Like, because what is... Yeah. Europe is a whole fucking continent. Like, it's different. Are you, you know, are the things you're saying are so European... You know, this is going to be the same in France and Belarus and Greece. No. 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 Like it's, I, I just think a lot of people that do that see it as one thing rather than the different and distinct cultures that it is. Right. Absolutely. All, that's my soapbox. Um, anyway, back to Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> so some of the rights did wind up being restored to the prisoners. But they didn't get official recognition of political status. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, violence in Northern Ireland escalated like significantly oh. uh, during the hunger strikes. Okay. Because the, because the UK government wasn't doing anything. And their prisoners, their people were dying. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. like, yeah. So that's kind of the, um, I guess, conflict overview of the conflict between the IRA and Margaret Thatcher. And there's actually, I've watched it once and Uh it's super good. Um, There's a movie, it's The Iron Lady with Meryl Streep. Yes! Which she looks so much like Margaret Thatcher. It's crazy. Meryl Streep is far and away like the most talented actress. Like I I love her so much. I love her. And that movie, there there are seeds that I've never this seen is it. a part I of want it. To. Oh, it is. Um, mm-hmm. This oh. is yeah. Well, this is huge. I mean, um, obviously, but I've I've never seen that movie, so I'm I watched of... it once, but maybe four or five years ago. Uh, it was a long time ago, and it yeah. was. I really enjoyed it. It was very interesting because yeah. actually she, um resigned like she Margaret was asked Thatcher to resigned from the prime minister and she oh. wound up getting later in the 2000s and stuff like alzheimer's oh. and that's the movie because the movie is set now and then like has flashbacks kind of into now her in life. the sense you mean five years ago when she was alive yeah 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 it's really good um but anyway I see it. Yeah. anyway <laughs> i've given enough background now i think that now I'm going to dive into. Uh, yeah, tell me what actually happened. <laughs> um, I know I haven't even gotten into my actual case yet. Uh, so the IRA had hatched its plan to assassinate Margaret Thatcher uh, because they blamed her for the deaths of the hunger strikers. Right. Um, they hatched this plan in 1983. Uh, oh. The group chose to attack the following year's Conservative Party conference in Brighton. Um, and the town's Grand Hotel, that was okay. the location of the conference where it was staying. And they chose Explosives Officer Patrick McGee as the man to plant the bomb. Oh. The plan was to use a bomb with a very long delay. Like, uh, like I didn't know bombs could have this long of a delay. And so, three weeks before the conference... McGee and a female accomplice accomplice checked into the Grand Hotel for four nights under a false name. And they stayed in room 629, which was five floors above the hotel's VIP suites. 
Mm-hmm. And McGee planted a 20-pound gelignite, which is blasting jelly, oh. bomb. Oh, um, blasting jelly. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I, weird. I didn't know that was a thing. I know Never it heard is of that a before. thing, but I've heard it in, like, const- like, it's, I think, used in a lot of construction, like, demolition. Oh. Um, and the bomb actually used a timer from a VCR, fun fact. Um, and he oh. placed it uh, behind the bath panel in the bathroom, and he programmed the device to detonate 24 days later at two. Whoa! Yeah, I, that's a long. I thought you were gonna say like 36 hours or something like that. No, when I said very long delay, 24 days. Jesus. Um, at 2:53 a.m. on the night or on the last night of the Conservative Party conference. Uh huh. So, flash forward. The party conference was a great success, and on the final night, uh, Thatcher's staying up past midnight in her first floor VIP suite. She's working on the speech that she's going to give at the conference uh, the, the following day. Right, the last um, day. The kind of, like, yeah. Wrap up. Yeah. Kind of. Basically, yeah. like, the last speech, like, well, we're done. Um, <clears throat> so the bomb exploded at its planned time, 2.53 a.m., um, when Jesus. most of the hotel's 318 guests were asleep in bed, uh, Thatcher was, again, she was still awake in her sitting room. She was working with her private secretary um, on this speech. Uh, and he would later say that both she and I knew immediately that it was a bomb. Like, as they hear it going off? Heard, felt, saw. Like, it was... Because there so five floors below it's not they're on the first floor right and if it happened on the sixth and if it was meant to kill her i don't know well well okay part of the hotel collapsed okay so the explosion ripped through the top floors of the hotel and created a huge hole in its front and caused a chimney a chimney stack to collapse and crash through the center of the building Jesus. Um, then the midsection of the building collapsed into the basement and left, you know, this gaping hole in the hotel's facade. Yeah. So firemen actually said that many lives were likely saved because the well-built Victorian hotel remained standing. So only the middle that was right above and below the bomb collapsed. Wow. Um, and it missed uh, Margaret Thatcher's living room by inches. Um, but it did hit her bathroom and bedroom where her husband, Dennis, was sleeping. <gasps> did it kill him? He was injured, but he survived. Okay. So many of the guests and delegates, including cabinet minister Norman Tebbit and his wife, Margaret, were trapped by falling masonry and rubble as the rooms collapsed in the center of the hotel. Yeah. So it was like chaos as survivors made their way out of the hotel covered in dust, but the oh, wow. the firefighters were there by 3 a.m. And Margaret and Dennis Thatcher were rushed out of the rear of the hotel and taken by car to the police station. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't until the following morning that it was clear that several people had died of the explosion and that more than 30 had been severely injured, including Tebbit and his wife. Oh, no. Margaret Thatcher actually insisted that the conference would continue as scheduled oh, that day, the shit. day after the bombing. And as she made her way to the conference center, the IRA issued a statement that took responsibility for the bomb. 
and they said, today we are unlucky. But remember, we only have to be lucky once. You will have to be lucky always. It warned that they needed to give Ireland peace and there will be no war. So you know what this kind of reminds me of? How, like, right now anything happens and ISIS takes responsibility for it. Mm -hmm. Whether they did it or not. Like, the IRA issuing a report saying they did it is what, like, I just had this, like, unfortunate recognition Mm -hmm. of how similar that is to things that are still going on today with ISIS. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. So, Margaret Thatcher actually, she went against police wishes and she entered the conference center by its front entrance in full glare of the media. Like, she was like, because they wanted to, like, sneak her in the back, like, keep her safe. Right, and but she she's was like, like, no, fuck no, you, I'm alive. Walking in the front. Yep. Um, In full glare of the media. Like, cameras are in her face. And she's like, hey, what's up? I'm here. Yeah. Didn't get me. Um, And she wound up giving um a speech at the conference that but wasn't... But her speech changed a bit. It did. Like, it uh, <laughs> was a little bit different. Um. So she began the session in the conference at 9.30 a.m. the following morning, as scheduled. Like, she's fucking on time. She's like, 9.30, 9.30. Yep. Doesn't matter what happened. Um, Jesus. And she, from her speech, she dropped most of her planned attacks on the Labor Party because, I mean, again, it's like, it's a party speech. It's kind of like the DNC or the RNC. Right. Like the, for Americans. Um, but she dropped most of those attacks because that's not needed and not wanted at this time. Right. And she said that the bombing was an attempt to cripple Her Majesty's democratically elected government. She also went on to say that that is the scale of the outrage in which we have all shared. And the fact that we are all gathered here now, shocked but composed and determined Mm -hmm. is a sign not only that this attack has failed, but that all attempts to destroy democracy by terrorism will fail. Mm. I will say, whether or not I agree with everything she says, and and I still have a lot to learn about Mm -hmm. her, it's really awesome to see a woman in so much power in the 70s to 90s. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, that's yeah. just really cool. And, God, I wish, uh... I wish we would caught wish, up. Wish uh, we would have caught up to the fucking women leaders. I mean, England has a fucking queen and has for a bazillion years, it seems. Yeah. Did you know that Queen Elizabeth, during World War II, actually like, worked in factories to oh. help support the war effort in England? I did not. I didn't know that. Yeah, and she's, like, princess at the time. Like, right. she's not a nobody. She's the daughter of the current king. I know. And she was like, I'm gonna fucking put tires on this goddamn truck so we can help go murder some Germans. You know, you look at her and you just can see badass Absolutely. all the time. Like, I love her. There's a reason she's 7,000 years old. And I she's know. Lived that long. And she's been queen for how long? I think since 52. Which blows my fucking mind. Mm -hmm. That is almost 70 years. Yep. Because she's actually the longest reigning queen ever. I knew that. I knew that because she surpassed that. She surpassed Queen Victoria 
two or three years ago? Yeah. It was recent, um, but I knew she had become, like, the yeah. longest reigning queen. When I was in London, that... And we didn't know this when we booked the tickets. Um, but that was when the Diamond Jubilee, her 60th year as queen, oh. uh, was happening. And we got to see her. There were... Wait. What? Yeah. They had... Um, like a, it was like a boat parade what? on the Thames. You saw even her silhouette? Yeah, I saw her. She was like this big in the distance. We waved at her. And she was just like sitting on her boat being like, I'm the queen. Um, and there I'm was so like jealous. seven trillion people. Oh my and it was pouring. God. It was the only day of the rain? trip. Of the vacation. And we, again, we were there for like a month. And it was beautiful weather 95% of the time. And this day it was like cold and pouring, um, and that was, it was our last full day there. We saw the queen; she waved at us. We had coronation chicken, which is tradition. It's yeah. like a chicken salad but curry powder. Oh my with god! With raisins, pretty good. That sounds it's pretty good. Fucking amazing! I want it right now. We should make it, especially on <gasps> croissants. Can we do that? Yes. Yes. Oh my god. Okay, we have to go to the grocery store this week. We're getting that. Okay, we're gonna we're do coronation chicken. Making coronation chicken. <laughs> I don't even care. In celebration of this episode, we're fucking doing it. We're fucking doing it. Celebration of the July Fourth episode. Celebrating not American things apparently, but whatever. Apparently. I want coronation chicken. Me too. So back to Margaret Thatcher. Yeah. Uh, one of her biographers actually wrote that her coolness in the immediate aftermath of the attack and the hours after it won universal admiration. Oh. Her defiance was another Churchillian moment in her premiership, which seemed to encapsulate both her own steely character and the British public's stoical refusal to submit to terrorism. One... Fuck, that's a lot of words. That was. And Churchillian, that had to do with William Churchill. I'm yeah. Assuming. Yeah. Yeah. So, damn. So, yeah. she, people thought she was fucking a badass right now. So, because, like, immediately afterwards, her popularity soared uh, almost to the level it had been during the Falklands War a few years prior. Wow. Um, so, even the Saturday after the bombing, she said to her constituents that... We suffered a tragedy not one of us could have thought would happen in our country, and we picked ourselves up and sorted ourselves out, as all good British people do. Mm-hmm. And I thought, let us stand together, for we are British. They are trying to destroy the fundamental freedom that is the birthright of every British citizen. Freedom, justice, and democracy. Wow. She had a fucking way with words. Just she saying. did. Wow. So, in the bombing, five people were killed and 34 were injured. Thank God it wasn't more. Yeah. Well, it's it's because the hotel stayed standing Be- because it was a strongly built hotel. I wish buildings were built that strongly nowadays. Mm-hmm. They're really not. They're really not. They're built cheaply. And then the kitchen slant. Like my apartment. Well, you know, this is built in the 70s, and the fact that the kitchen slants maybe is how the whole place is still standing. I mean, that is fair. This is 50 years old. I need oh, to give it that. My God. I've never thought about that. That our apartments are 50 years old, half yes. a century. Yeah. 
I think about Holy it all the shit. time. Holy shit. Okay. Mm-hmm. I all right. Jesus. So those that died included Sir Anthony Barry MP and Roberta Wakem, who was wife of Parliamentary Treasury Secretary John Wakem. Mm-hmm. Norman Tebbett's wife Margaret was actually left severely and permanently paralyzed <gasps> from the bombing. Oh. So once police discovered that the bomb had been planted in room 629, they traced every guest who had stayed there. So why 629? That was just the room that it was in, and it was because it was the room that was directly above where she was going to stay. Oh, my God. Okay. So, three months after the explosion, they found Patrick McGee's fingerprints on his registration card for the the hotel room. So, they got him. Yeah. Good. So, he was arrested, found guilty, and given eight life sentences, uh, and the judge recommended that he served a minimum of 35 years. Um, four other members of the IRA were also jailed for their involvement in the plot. Uh-huh. The hotel actually reopened August 28th of 1986, and the re-inauguration was attended by both Margaret Thatcher and Norman Tibbet. Wow. So, Patrick McGee wound up serving 14 years of his prison sentence and was released in 1999 under the terms of the Good Friday Agreement, uh, which was the treaty agreement that uh, ended the Troubles. Wait, I'm confused. I thought he had to serve at least 35 years. How did he get out after 14? Because of the government, like, agreement treaty. So this, so the Good Friday Agreement was basically a ceasefire agreement that would return some of the political prisoners... And the IRA would stop bombing. And he happened to be one of those people. He was one of them. Oh yeah. my god. So it ended the troubles. And in 2000, McGee actually met with Joe Barry, who is the daughter of Sir Anthony Barry, who was killed in the blast. Yeah. Uh, Barry had decided to dedicate her life to conflict resolution. And McGee is actually now actively involved in peace work. And the pair often now travel and work together under the banner of her charity that's called Building Bridges for Peace. Wait, him and the, the daughter of someone he killed? Mm-hmm. What the... F- what? Yep. What the what? Yeah. What? Yeah. So she is a bigger person than I have ever met in my entire life. Yes. I'm... I... Uh, I okay. Yeah. So she, they work together now on conflict resolution and so, and yeah. He's like, I learned my lesson. My way previously of conflict resolution was wrong. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's interesting because. What the fuck? Yeah. But, um, but yeah, that is my, that is my crime. Is the bombing of Brighton and the attempted assassination of Margaret Thatcher. Well, okay. I guess we hop into postmortem now? Yeah, we do postmortem, noting that uh, last episode we could not come to a decision. This is true. So I feel like we should probably come to a decision this episode. We should. Um, I'm just going to say my... my guy died. 
I'm just gonna put that out there. Like, uh, okay, just, just gonna put that out there. Yeah, mine was a war. Mine still grips the nation, our nation, on our July Fourth episode. Now that's that's fair. Okay, you don't I mean, pull was, the America card. I did. Yeah, we're, I'm like, like, we're sitting in Texas. I fucking know we're in America. I know. I'm waving my flag right now because yeah, I'm being an asshole, and it's fine. Um. I, you know, I will give it to you only because, um, I fucking love Jackie Kennedy. I know. And she need she deserves it. She doesn't need it. She deserves it. She deserves it. So I, she, she, Jackie Kennedy can win this episode. And I guess by association, you are the winner. I will take it. But I will say your case was fascinating. Mm-hmm. And it was so many things that I've never looked looked into deeper or didn't know a ton about. And mm-hmm. it's always so fascinating talking about um, crimes and, like, huge political events that are in other countries. Because yeah. I think it's important for us to realize that... And I don't know what this is going to sound like, but it's important for people to realize America is not the only place that there is. Mm-hmm. Like, there's an entire entire world around us, and there are so many things that are happening in so many places, mm-hmm. and part of me wants to make it a point of our podcast to talk about other countries, crimes mm-hmm. in other countries, like, not just have it be so American-centric. It's true, because I think that is something that, and my experience is as an American, so it may be similar in other countries, I don't know. But is that so many people here think the world revolves around us. America. Is that they do. America is the sun and everything what else. it does affects everything else. And I'm like, no, you can't think nope. that because it's not true. Nope. You're not that important, son. Nope. It's true. But, I, you know. I mean, after you know, all good Fourth of July sentiments, I guess. I know. Whoops. Um, after all that, I will take the win. I'll take the W. Okay. Okay. And um, that means I will pick the wine for next week's episode, and I'm no. Oh yeah, I will pick the topic. Yep. Fuck. Clearly, we again. It's the whole like rosé white wine makes us feel drunker, but yeah, I'm I'm a little drunk. Sorry, um, y'all. So, I'm really interested to see what topic you pick to follow up this really intense episode. I, think I know, this just, was good. This, this was, was definitely good. one of our longer episodes, which makes sense because it's a special. It is. It's a special. It's July 4th. Like, this is, you know, meant to be just a little bit more information and also something that was kind of less about, not less about, but it wasn't so murder. Mm-hmm like mm-hmm. topic it was more about some bigger issues that are going on in the world or have yeah. gone on in the it world went, and it was things very, that you need to know about yeah Both it was very political it was very political and but in the way of politics being a thing not political as in like our current political atmosphere no because it's so important to understand your history and where the politics are in that history because For example, the IRA bombings, the attempted assassination of Margaret Thatcher does not make complete sense 
until you understand the politics and the political nature going on at the time. Yes. And the same thing with the JFK assassination. The politics are such a central thing. And it, it makes me so mad when people... This is sort of tangenting off to another topic, but whatever. It makes me so mad when other people are like, oh... I don't really like politics, so, like, I don't really know. Like, but, like what it's, is it's a Democrat? It's your fucking life. And it's like, okay, clearly you're not involved in politics. You don't really care because your privilege has dictated that it doesn't really matter to you. Yes. Or it doesn't really... The things that are decided don't really affect you, so, of course, you don't matter. Or, of course, it doesn't matter to you. Right. But, fuck, open your goddamn eyes. Look at other people's fucking perspective, you asshole. It's true, maybe in a little less intensity, but also all the intensity, because that's something like I have not always been someone who was super into politics, but then I got to a certain age where it was like, no, that's my life. That's my fucking life. And in America, we have the opportunity to be involved in this and we have rights to vote and help make decisions that it drives me fucking insane when people don't vote because i'm like you realize how much of a privilege this is that you get to help make this decision i know and i i cannot ever ever get over the fact that there are people out there who don't give two shits don't vote and then bitch about it because there are so many people who can't vote whether they committed a felony and they no longer have the right to whether Which I have feelings about I have very strong feelings about it. I think it's super fucked up yep but whether they're a working you know whether someone who is working a 12-hour retail shift and they literally don't have time from seven to seven to go vote and it's not gonna happen. Thankfully, there are some states. That's one thing I loved about Seattle is that you get a mail-in ballot. Every person who is registered to vote gets a mail-in ballot. And you can either fill it out and send it back or you can go to a voting station. Like, it's either one. I filled mine out. I didn't know where the fuck was my voting station. Thankfully, in Texas, you can, I'm pretty sure, go to just... Wherever you are, the nearest voting station. You can. Cause, Which I've had to do multiple times yeah. because, to be honest, I need to update my registration to my current address because my other address is like 40 minutes away, but I can go mm-hmm. anywhere. So and you, I have which done is that. wonderful. Because in Oklahoma, it's you the one place. Are, if you're registered to vote, you are to one place. So I, in college, my permanent address was still back where my mom lives. And so I actually had to skip class for a day and drive like an hour to go vote. Yeah. And that is so fucked up. Uh, But you know what? Maybe that should be the lesson of this episode. Fourth of July. Love your country. Vote. Love your history. Go register to vote if you haven't. And if you are registered to vote... Look up your candidates. Do some research on yes. the state questions that are going to be on the ballot. There's a, I mean, there's a fucking election every like 35 minutes, but. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. And it's one of the things where I admire someone 
even if they vote for something I disagree with, I admire them more than someone who doesn't vote. Mm -hmm. Because the fact that we have this right is bigger than we can comprehend because we have the right. We can't understand what it would be like to not have it because in our lifetime, we've always had it. Mm -hmm. It's always been something. It's always been been you turn 18, you get to vote. That's the thing. And so I wish more people would appreciate that Mm -hmm. and take advantage of it. But again, I'm just going to be a little shit right now and just say, if you don't vote and then you bitch about the circumstances yeah no don't because you did not try to make a difference and if you yeah. feel your one unless vote, you were unable to i will i will have a caveat caveat yes unless i'm saying you if were, you made the if you choice we're like not you go. know what there's no difference yes fuck them i'm not gonna vote because yeah, fuck you if, fuck you honestly if you have that thought that your vote doesn't count and doesn't matter just know you had that thought and so did thousands of other people and that's why it turned out the way it was because your vote fucking matters mm-hmm. and if everyone would just realize that their vote makes mm-hmm. a difference well it's insane we can there... actually have a political system that more so reflected the nation yeah. there and are our states beliefs. that flip in any election by 20,000 votes Yeah, in a state of Seven million people. I I think we. Uh, I agree. I agree. I think we're done. So So, next week I will pick our wine. I'll pick our topic. So y'all best get ready and uh, let us know what you think about our kind of specials. You know, depending on what we do. You know, maybe there's a Halloween episode coming up. Maybe there's a. You know, holiday episode coming up around wintertime. Who knows? Yeah. Well, thanks everyone, and yeah. we'll uh, look forward for a less intense episode next week. I think. That's not going to happen. I don't know. <laughs> this is but intense. This is Blood and Wine signing off. XOXO. Bye. Bye. Bye.